0: You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Welcome to episode 119 of the show. It is such a joy to have you all here. So for those of you who listened from last week's episode and kind of know what I've been going through in terms of my health, I have good news and bad news. The good news is, it has been a couple weeks since I've been back from China, and so I can officially say that I have gotten over my jet lag. I am back in Eastern Standard Time again, and it just, it feels good. My head's right again, I'm sleeping normally again, I have fully recovered, and I've gotten my internal clock back where it needs to be. That's the good news. The bad news is, and you can probably hear it in my voice, I'm now fighting a touch of the laryngitis. And... I'm not sure why I have it. I think there are a few different things that have happened. One, I'm teaching my class that I always teach in the spring on business ethics at Doral College. And when that happens, and it always takes me a few weeks of teaching to kind of train my vocal cords to not just immediately get laryngitis. But for those first few classes, my voice is always a little shot while I'm lecturing. And so, unfortunately, you all have to bear the burden of that. But I hope that you can bear with me. And, uh, and just hang with me until I can get my voice back to where it needs to be. And so I think that might be part of the reason why I have the laryngitis. The other thing was I was up in North Carolina on business this past week for a couple days and, oh God, I got really bad allergies there. I mean, I love North Carolina. I was in the research triangle area. You will be hard pressed to find a prettier piece of real estate in the United States than the research triangle area in North Carolina. It's beautiful. The people are friendly. There's so much to do. But one of the problems with the Research Triangle area is the allergies. Like the 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 pollen and the plants are everywhere and I I just from the moment I stepped off the plane at the Raleigh-Durham Airport to the moment I got back to Miami, it was just one long sneeze. Achoo, 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 achoo for the whole time. I was in North Carolina. and so I feel like that's probably part of why my voice is shot right now. and so i'm I'm working with that. And I might even have a touch of the flu. I don't know. Everybody in the world, uh, at least in my at least in my world, seems to have the flu right now. So maybe I have it too. Uh, and yeah, but all of those things, I'm not gonna make excuses for. I'm still here. I'm still gonna do this podcast even if it means I have to play hurt because I care about you guys. honestly. I, love me some musicians and I am here to help you guys and help you move your careers forward and do whatever I can to make your lives a little better. That's that's what I'm all about, man. It's been a crazy week. There's been so much going on this week and I'm still just trying to process all of it and it's been some great stuff, it's been some terrible stuff and you know, let me just run through it. So, last night in terms of the stuff that was great, this past week, last night I got to go to the Women Crush Music event at Sweat Records. We've been talking about Women Crush Music the last few weeks on this podcast. It's an organization dedicated to improving the lives of women in music. They have outreach programs, education programs, connection programs. They're doing some really cool stuff for women. They've done right by this podcast, by the way. In addition to bringing on the president of the organization, Ashley Kervabon, as a guest. Women Crush Music was also kind enough to take over my podcast for two weeks while I was over in China. If you haven't listened to those episodes, give them a listen. Ashley and the team were phenomenal. You get that real great first-person artist insight. They talked about an industry from a, the industry from a perspective that I never could because I'm not in the trenches the way they are as artists. And they give the women's perspective, which obviously I can't give, and they were wonderful. And so I've been trying to do anything I can to support them. And so I was out last night at the Miami Chapter's Music Showcase, a lot of fantastic musicians at this showcase. They were wonderful, wonderful, and uh, props to Mary Jane Wheeler, who is the chapter director at Miami, for putting on a great event. And, you know, honestly, I'm so busy these days that I just never get time anymore the way I used to, to just go and listen to music in Miami. And the musicians in Miami are so great down here. We have the University of Miami Frost School of Music, uh, here in the area, and they are churning out some of the best musicians you're ever going to come across. Just an all star team. Every last one of them, top to bottom, phenomenal musicians coming out of the University of Miami and the city of Miami in general. A lot of UM musicians were at uh, performing at this uh, showcase last night, and they were awesome. And, and honestly, folks, we have to do more. If you're in the Miami area, if you're a Miami, South Florida person, listen to what I'm saying. We gotta do more to support the music scene down here in Miami and in South Florida. We don't do enough. We really don't. There's not enough venues for musicians to perform here. We're not doing enough to support the music community down here. And I know it because after the show, I talked to all these musicians. I asked them how their careers were going. I'd say, you know, plugged my podcast, obviously, because I wanted to help them out. But And I said to them, what's next for you guys? And pretty much every single one of them said, yeah, I'm leaving after I graduate. I'm going to New York. I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to Texas because there's nothing for me here. This, you know, this is a community that does a great job educating musicians because the school of music is so good down here, but then they all get out of town because we don't support the musicians down here. So if you're listening to this, if you're a local person, if you're from Miami, from South Florida. Go listen to musicians. Go to gigs. Go watch live music perform because the musicians are great down here and we need them to know that if they stay here, we will support them. We will take care of them. We will cultivate our music community. And look, I'm part of the problem. I just said earlier that I've been too busy to go out and listen to music. That's something I'm going to change. And so I'm throwing some support uh, behind Women Crush Music to try to do what I can to help the music scene down here. And if you're a Miami musician... Email me, breakthebusiness at gmail.com if there's anything I can do to help you out, anybody I can connect you to, anything, because, again, I want the music community down here to thrive. I've even been thinking, and tell me, listeners, if you think you would get behind this, I kind of want to do a segment where maybe every two or three weeks I bring on a local musician from Miami to perform acoustically here on the podcast in the third segment, kind of like a coffee house setting. Uh, just for Miami musicians, just to kind of expose Miami musicians to the rest of the world and you and, and get to kind of hear some great music. And so you can balance out me talking on and on about entertainment law, blah, 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 music modernization act, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? This article in Hypebot, blah, blah, blah. And I can balance all that with you getting to hear some awesome local music from right here in South Florida. If you think you'd enjoy that, let me know. Email me, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, because I think I've met enough musicians over the last couple years of doing this podcast here in Miami that we could probably do something like that, and it would be really, really awesome. So again, uh, props to Mary Jane Wheeler, the Miami Chapter Director for Women Crush, for putting on a great event at Sweat Records last night. It was great, and I promise to do more to support musicians here in Miami. So that was the good stuff that happened this week. That was a fun event and it was it was great just to hear that music. But, you know, as great as that was, there was also some awful stuff that happened in this area this past week. The the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School that happened in Parkland. Parkland is in South Florida. Parkland is a stone's throw from my house. I mean, I'm the next county over in Miami-Dade, and I, I know a lot of people in that area. And it's been heartbreaking for the, for the whole tri-county area, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, we've all been reeling from this. This has been so hard because, you know, you just, you never think that this is going to happen in your area, you know, in your, in your backyard. And it's, you know, we've been, we've really been reeling from it and we're going to talk more about it later in the show. I have a lot more to say about what happened in Parkland at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, but God, it just stinks. Um... Anyway, um, if you are listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking, man, the show sounds a little different, I can't quite put my finger on why, but maybe the levels are different. I mean, things sound different and there's two reasons for that. One, uh, as, as I said before, I'm fighting a touch of the laryngitis. So my voice sounds a little different than what you're normally used to. Hopefully, hopefully not that much worse. Maybe it's kind of a little raspy. Like I have kind of one of those like sultry singer from the thirties qualities to it. Like, but, um, it doesn't yeah you know, so I sound a little different but aside from that we're working this week with a new mixer. I got a new mixer that came in over this past week and it's you know uh, uh, we've kind of upgraded a little bit. This one's really cool. It allows for multi-track recording so I can uh, adjust volume levels more easily. It's supposed to have better sound quality. But the point is I'm still working with it. And it's going to take me some time to kind of find the sweet spot with the sound. I'm kind of music tech illiterate. I mean, there's a reason why I went into the legal side of the music industry and not the engineering side or the creative side of the industry, because, you know, this stuff does not come naturally to me. So it's going to take me some time to get things right with the mixer, to get the quality where it needs to be. And I just ask you to bear with me. I mean, I tell you that I spent the whole day trying to set this mixer up and there are sort of different stages to it. Like it started with me going, this isn't, you know, I, 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 this isn't working. I can't make this work and I don't know why. And I spent a bunch of time, a few hours, like pushing different buttons and plugging things in and trying different things. And finally it started to work. And then I said to myself, now this thing is working and I don't know why. So (laughs) like, I'm not sure what I did to make it work. I probably couldn't replicate it. But it's going to take me some time to figure out this new mixer. So in the meantime, I just ask that you bear with me. Bear with the tech illiterate entertainment lawyer who's trying to do a podcast. And by the by, if you know anything about these kind of mixers and you want to just send me some advice on how it sounds and how it could sound better, I would love for you to email me. Break the business at gmail.com. Uh, I would very much appreciate your insight. And look, maybe we're all going to listen to this when it goes online and it sounds great. But honestly, it could sound like crap and I don't know. And we're not going to know until it gets out into the world. So again, let me know. Let me know what you think of the new sound. Let me know what you think of the sound quality. Let me know what I can do to make it better so I can give you all the best possible product. Our guest this week, so excited to talk to Sean Yesner. He is an attorney and he is the host of the Crushing Debt podcast. So here's what I'm thinking with having Sean Yesner on. We've had a lot of folks on this podcast who are musicians, who work in the music industry, who do a lot of music stuff and can give you a lot of creative tips, and we've had a lot of music business professionals on the show, experts on social media, experts on promotion, experts on distribution. We've we've talked to everybody under the sun on those things. And I figured for this week we would try something different. I wanted to bring on somebody who could talk to you all about managing money. Not only is Sean Yesner an attorney, he's also a musician in his own right, and he specializes in helping people manage their debt, helping people manage their money, helping people stay out of debt. And I know this from working with musicians. A lot of musicians are in always financial... A lot of musicians are always in financially precarious situations. It's an industry... When you're working in music... You're constantly getting income on an irregular basis. You know, you're not getting your paycheck every two weeks, you know, direct deposit like you would if you were a salaried employee. Some weeks you might make lots of money. Some weeks it might be tumbleweeds and crickets and you get nothing. And so it can make it very hard to do things like budget and stay out of debt. And I get all that. So I wanted to bring on somebody who is a musician and who works with people and helps them stay out of debt. And when they get into debt, he helps them get out of debt and helps them manage that debt. And so if that's you, if you're in that situation and you want some advice on that, I'd stick around for the next segment so you can hear this conversation that we're going to have coming up with Sean Yesner, because I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So, and And I love the idea of bringing on a guest that is kind of different from what we've done before. And I think that's what Sean Yesner is going to do for us. So that's that's super, super cool. And, all right, so before we bring him on, though, let's talk a little bit about just some great music tips that I've picked up along the way. Since I went to the Women Crush music show last night, I've been thinking a lot about promoting live shows. Because uh, I was talking to Mary Jane Wheeler, who put on this show for Women Crush, and she was just telling me how difficult it can be to promote a show. And all the things that go with it. And, and just managing the social media of it can be really tough. It's, it's like herding cats. <laughs> and you know you can do a lot of posting and you feel like you're not getting a lot of traction. And especially in a market like Miami where there's so much to do. Where there's so many different parties going on at any given time. It's hard to sort of cut through the clutter and get your voice out there and heard on social media when you're trying to promote a live event. So that actually got me thinking about an article that I read earlier this week in Music Think Tank by a guy named Simon Tam. He hosts the Music Business Hacks podcast. Really insightful dude, by the way. I want to get him on the show, and I'm hoping that uh, maybe he's listening to this, or I can shoot him an email or something. But I want to I want to get him on the show. I want to get some of those music business hacks on this podcast, and so we can learn some stuff from him. But he wrote an article for uh, Music Think Tank called. 40 Ways Bands Can Use Social Media to Increase Engagement at Shows. And I want to talk about this article because it got me, you know, my conversation with Miss Wheeler last night got me thinking about it. But I also want to talk about this article because there's a lot of great tips in there. There's stuff in there for any musician. And no matter how good you are at promoting live shows on social media... I guarantee you there's something in this article you haven't heard yet that you want to implement in your live show right away. So definitely check out that article. And don't worry, I'm not going to read all 40 tips on the air right now because I know you all don't have that kind of time, and I don't have that kind of time. And I'm pretty sure Sean Yesner does not have that kind of patience to wait for us to go through all 40 tips. But there were a few tips that I thought were particularly interesting that I wanted to elaborate on, either because I didn't think of these tips or they're tips that I want other artists to kind of really know and or their tips that honestly you could implement in your live show right now without a lot of work without investing anything like this is these are tips that you could do like that and make your live shows better instantly and so that's those are the kind of tips I wanted to emphasize but one of the tips that he talked about in this article was the importance of sending personal invites to the shows when you invite people to shows you know, at least on Facebook, you send out the general invite, right? Where it's going to be, uh, what time it's going to be at, uh, who is it? 21 plus you give people the general information. It goes into their little event invite box and most people ignore it. You know, some people will have the, well, some people will actually say I'm going to the show and they'll tell you they're going to go. Some people say they're not going to go, but most people just ignore it either because, They're getting many different event invites and they're not really thinking about, you know, yours at the time and they're just kind of ignoring it and passing it by or because they're on the fence and they're not sure they're going to go. And so they don't want to tell you either way. And so most most people are just going to ignore your event invites on something like Facebook. So what can you do to goose those numbers a bit? Send personal invites message your fans directly, whether it's Facebook and using personal messages or using, you know, DMs on Twitter or at messages on Twitter. Talk to your fans. Talk to the people on your network one-on-one. Personally invite them to the show. And when I say personally invite them, I mean personally. Don't, don't just cut and paste a cookie-cutter event invite that, that you've sent to 47 other people, and they're going to know that it's just spam, Like that, that's not what I'm talking about. Actually have a real, actual conversation with your friends. Say hi, tell them this is coming, tell them you'd love for them to be there because you think this kind of music's going to be right up their alley and you'd appreciate them stopping by. And look, people are going to be more likely to come when you actually talk to them like real human beings and they feel like they're a directly invited guest. I mean, I don't know about you, but most of the event invites that I get in my Facebook feed, I ignore them because I feel like I'm just being spammed. Like, you're not really inviting me. You just spammed everybody on your friend list, and I'm one of them. And you should know that I don't have an interest in your, uh, you know, new wave didgeridoo concert. Actually, that does sound like a pretty cool concert. I totally would go to that. But the, you know, the point is, um, if I feel like I'm being spammed, I'm probably not going to want to go to your show, and neither are most people. But if you take the time to message me, and you tell me a little bit about yourself, and you tell me why this show's important to you, and I'm in the area, and I'm free... I'm going to be really likely to go to your show because you took the time to talk to me because I feel like I'm a directly invited guest and and th- and that makes all the difference and it's like, honestly it's just it's and plus look it's harder to say no to somebody when you act when they're when they're being asked directly than whether it's just an invite in your inbox it's always harder to say no to a person than it is to say no to an invite and and look more broadly than that cultivating one-on-one Relationships with your fans is just generally good advice. I mean, social media doesn't just have to be you posting, buy my album, buy my album, buy my album, check my website, check my website, these broad posts. Like, if you have a network of friends that like you, message them, say hi to them one on one, figure out what's going on in their lives. Like, you have the time to do it. Trust me. Like, block out a, a certain amount of time every day, every week in which you actually talk your fans one-on-one see what's going on with them because that's how you build a tribe because remember it's not just about you know the new music industry is not about getting a bunch of fans that give you one dollar for your album it's about getting a solid tribe of a thousand people that are willing to spend a hundred dollars a year on you that's how you make a middle class living as a musician how do you cultivate those fan relationships by actually building a relationship talking to people one-on-one getting to know them getting to know their lives getting to know your customers. And whether it's promoting that, promoting a live show and inviting people one on one or just talking about your career generally sent, you know, that personal touch, man, it makes all the difference. Uh, Back on was it episode forty nine, I think we talked to a rap artist named Kosha Dills who told us that he would when his albums would come out, he would actually text all of his fans. He had phone numbers. He would text his fans one by one when the albums came out. And he would tell them to buy the album. Or if there was a show in his area, he would text the people in that area one by one and would give that personal touch. And that guy's been charting on Billboard all over the place. He's got a monster following because he was willing to invest in that personal touch. And you should, too. Another thing from this article I thought was a cool idea is using live streaming. And there are actually three different ways that the article talks about and how you can use live streaming in your shows. You can use it before the show, during the show, and after the show. So before the show, you know, use live streaming, whether it's Periscope, whether it's Facebook live, whether it's YouTube's live streaming feature to capture moments before the show, give the fans a behind the scenes, uh, uh, you know, blow by blow on what's going on with you. You're getting ready. You're doing soundtrack. Are you nervous? Do you have butterflies? Are you feeling comfortable about a particular song? Let your fans have a window into what you're going through, into that process. They're going to really dig that. And then during the show, broadcast the performance. For the folks who can't make it, for the folks that even when you made that personal invite to them, they still couldn't make it, there's no reason why you can't live stream your performance. Get it on Facebook Live, get it on Twitter, and give people a chance to listen to your perform. And finally, after the show, don't let the live streaming stop. Do a recap, talk about how you're feeling with that show. Uh, maybe do a Q&A with your fans. You know, maybe they want to, you know, hear your thoughts on everything that just happened on that show. Again, that's all about cultivating that tribe, giving them a personal window into your life. And you know, we've talked about this on the show before. Content is always at a premium. It's hard to find enough good content to satisfy the insatiable desires of your fan base. Your fans want more and more content all the time. And so, having a before during and after live stream of your show that's a lot of great content that your fans are going to love that you can put on all your socials and help yourself comf- cultivate a tribe another tip from this article and this is su- i mean this is just one of these things where i read this and i just kind of smack my head going that's such a good idea why don't more artists think of this and that's photo tagging so you're always looking for a way to use your show to get your fans to spread the word about you what this article recommends is just take a photo From the back of your stage, taking a photo of you with a bunch of your fans in the background in the crowd, and then tell your fans that you're going to put that video or, sorry, put that picture on social media. Tell them you're going to post that photo. Tell them when you're going to post that photo and tell your fans to tag themselves in the picture with your post. And that post should have a link to your band, by the way. And boom, now all of those people are going to tag themselves. It's going to put them on. It's gonna put you on their socials. You spread the word. You're gonna get a lot more fans that way, and it just it's an easy way to get a lot of fans and spread your uh, impact out there. And it's as literally as easy as snapping a photo, man. Like what? I mean, it, it's just it's so it's such a good idea. So that's that's something you want to uh, do, and it's such an easy fix. And finally, uh, last piece of advice we're gonna talk about. Get that information from your fans. Uh, the article talks about getting Twitter handles from all the fans who show up, so you can follow them on twitter. but get their get their email addresses too. I mean you young people you've you've so many of you have abandoned the lost art of the email list it 's still the best form of social media out there. Get the email addresses of all the fans in your crowd in your tribe because you can do so much with that email address. It gives you an opportunity to contact those people by email create newsletters give allow those people to keep tabs on what's going on in your life and unlike social media where you're battling for so many other people that are on that social media page on any given time email you get you know a one-on-one conversation they open that email it's just you and them there's no other, no one else competing on that page for your fans time so get those email addresses get those twitter handles from the folks who come to your show. And again, there's so many more tips in there, folks. Uh, take a look at the article. It's called 40 Ways Bands Can Use Social Media to Increase Engagement at Shows. It's at musicthinktank.com. Great article. You're going to learn a lot. All right. Our good buddy, Sean Yesner, coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and in ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is a Florida attorney and the host of the Crushing Debt Podcast, a weekly show dedicated to helping people eliminate their debt and secure their financial future. You can find his podcast and find out more about his services by visiting www.yesnerlaw.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Yesner is on the Break the Business Podcast. Sean, thank you so much for being with us. Thank
1: you. I appreciate
0: the opportunity. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. You know, we have so many music business people and musicians. And, you know, they, they've we've, we've talked about almost every topic under the sun. But I feel like the topic that you're an expert in, getting out of debt, managing your debt, is something that we haven't talked about. And that's criminal because there are so many musicians who can uh, understand that situation and are experiencing it themselves. But first, so we're going to get into all that. But first, I want to sort of talk about where you've sort of, built your practice on. And I want to open with this question. How did your experience with a childhood bully inspire you to start your law firm?
1: So it's really the entire basis for the law firm. So we may talk about this more as we go, but I've been playing drums now since I was 10. And I realized early on that as much as I enjoy playing and as much as I enjoy being a musician, and I've done everything, concert band, marching band, jazz band, behind the set, on the timpani, I mean, the whole nine yards. But I realized that that was, that was my passion, but it was my hobby. And it was always something that I was going to enjoy doing, but I needed something else to uh, pay the bills. And so I always knew from high school that I wanted to be a lawyer, but, In high school, I had a bully who, in the band, who picked on me constantly, and it it was nonstop. It was physical, it was mental. It was—I mean, this guy was was everywhere. He was a year ahead of me in school, so I got a little bit of of a reprieve in junior high school uh, when he had moved on to high school, and then I got a little bit of a reprieve in high school my senior year when he moved on to college, and then I get to college and I go out to audition for the marching band. I was in uh, Florida state marching chiefs and there he is again. And no. I'm convinced. Yeah. And I'm convinced to this day that really the only reason I made it into the drum line at FSU was because he was also auditioning for his first year ever. So I'm a freshman. He's a sophomore. We're both auditioning. So we're both on equal footing. And, you know, it was, I think later, uh, I think he was one of those that it was, you know, I was the young up and comer. I was the one that he saw as looking to take his spot in the line and all that kind of stuff. So it was constant, sort of nonstop. Now, fast forward to today, we're actually good friends. What? So I think part of being in, yeah, I think part of being in the drum line at FSU and that fraternity like feeling, um, it, he's not someone that I hang out with on a regular basis but when I go to Tallahassee, you know, he's got a local band up there. I go watch him play. Uh, you know, we, we tailgate together from time to time. A- anyone who's been in that marching band atmosphere, it does become sort of a fraternity. And so he and I have since become friends, but the way that transitioned into the law, what I realize is if you want some, if you want me, if you want to, hire me to work for you and I'm hesitant to take your case, put it in terms of you being bullied. And that's pretty much my trigger point where I'll say, sure, OK, let's get a letter. Let me help you make these creditors go away. Uh, and that's what the law firm is designed to do is to help make creditors go away. And, and so what I tell people, my my elevator pitch, so to speak, is when they say, what do you do? I say, I help you eliminate the financial bullies in your life. Um, and it, I think it goes back to me helping myself getting rid of those bullies that I had in junior high and high school and college and whatever.
0: So you really see creditors as bullies. They're not just, you know, you, you, they're not to you. They're not just people doing their job. They're bullies. Like how are they bullies? What sort of bullying behavior could they do to people?
1: There's a lot of creditors out there that take, uh, harassing tactics. So I'll give you an example. I represent a lady right now who Uh, Bought a brand-new Toyota, which you think is a great thing. Turned in her old Toyota, bought a brand-new Toyota. Here's the issue with the problem, though, is that she's on a fixed income. She's on Social Security Disability. She makes $800 a month, Social Security Disability Assistance. This Toyota dealership tricked her into buying a Toyota that she pays $500 a month for. Oh. Yeah. And when she tried to turn the car in, they laughed at her when she couldn't afford to make the monthly payments on the car, they repossessed it. Well, they took her old car as trade-in They repossessed the new car because she couldn't make the $500 a month payments. And then they, they uh, started to send her collection letters wanting the balance that was due on the loan on the car. And so I got involved I actually took one letter and they haven't called her since and they're not pursuing the deficiency. Um, and so it was, I, I threatened them with violation of federal debt collection law. I uh, threatened them with violation of the Florida's Consumer Collection Practices Act, the, the credit creditor harassment law. They were calling her on her cell phone, which is a violation of the Do Not Call List laws and basically Florida's Unfair Deceptive Trade Practices Act laws. So I threatened them with what I felt were legitimate violations of those laws. That was about two months ago, and I haven't heard a peep out of them since. In fact, I got a letter from Toyota that says, that's a letter, we're looking into it. I haven't heard a peep since. Wow.
0: So you're a, not only are you a hero because you're fighting for the little guy, but you also got the musician bona fides, as you talked about. So you, you've come to the right podcast, my friend, because uh, you yeah. got you got some wisdom to impart. So let, let's talk a little bit about money management, debt management and how it pertains to musicians. Uh, in your experience with musicians, what would you say is the biggest mistake you see musicians making when it comes to handling their money?
1: I think it's a budget issue, and I get it. I mean, it takes it takes a while to get to the level where you're making a ton of money uh, working as a musician. And I understand there's other things that you've got to do. There's other uh, other jobs you have to take, other ways to supplement income, whether that be uh, song sales, merchandise sales. Uh, whether it be, you know, the traditional, yeah, I'm a waiter or I'm a waitress. I mean, I get all of that stuff. And so I think it's the, it's the roller coaster of the up and down. I played a gig. I got a bunch of money. Let me pay down a bunch of debt. Or I got a gig, I got a bunch of money. Let me attack this debt. But then when they go a little bit between getting money from the next gig and then more bills pile up. And because I don't have the money in my account, I got to use the credit cards to float myself until I get the next gig, and it just sort of creates this this cycle, this spiral of I'm digging myself, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul, and, and actually, it's, it's not really even a musician thing, I think that could be something just a lot of my clients share, is I'm waiting for the next big thing to hit, but until that happens, I got to run up credit cards to keep everything afloat, and I dig myself into a deeper hole trying to figure out what I'm going to do to sustain between the paying gigs. So
0: it comes down to budgeting. And I guess budgeting is particularly critical for musicians because, as you noted, the income is so unpredictable. It's not steady. So let's talk about budgeting. What can budgeting look like for a musician? How does a musician set up a budget? Do you actually got to like get out a piece of paper and sort of write down all your expenses? What might this look like in practice?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it looks like in practice. Uh, take a piece of paper, take a pen and a piece of paper, or take a, a spreadsheet on the computer, or you know whatever your your method is, whatever your thing is. Um, I tend to be a, a you know pen and pencil and paper kind of guy because my undergrad degree was in accounting, so I happen to be that. But take whatever it is. I mean, I've got, and and I could even say for your listeners who are curious, um, I've got a. I do a lot of bankruptcy work and within bankruptcy schedule, I and schedule J of the bankruptcy petition is the budget that we have to report to the bankruptcy court. And so I am not suggesting that your listeners file bankruptcy. What I'm suggesting is there is already a budget written out where schedule. I is all of your income. Schedule J is all of your expenses. You can write all of that down and then figure out the next step that I would take is, okay, let me take a look at my expenses. What can I cut? You know, do I need the full – honestly, in in helping uh, coach clients in terms of their budget, I've got people to quit smoking. I've got people to cut down on drinking. I've got people to cut out some pretty bad habits. But at the same time, where is my expense that I can eliminate for a lower expense? Can I get a different car that has lesser payments? Can I shop around my insurance policy to get lesser payments? Can I maybe bring on another roommate or two? Or I just have a roommate leave and they were paying me $600 a month. So maybe the next roommate that comes in will pay me 650 a month or 700 a month. Where can I, every dollar counts. So where can I take 20 bucks from here, increase 20 bucks there, decrease 30 bucks here. You do that enough times over and over and over And then you start to get control of your budget.
0: Well, and a lot of musicians already do that to some extent on the business end of their music career, just trying to, you know, balance all the the finances for their career. So all that Sean's telling you to do is make that something you do for your whole life. And were you saying that you could actually use the schedules on the bankruptcy petitions as just a good way to a, a good document for budgeting?
1: Yeah. I'm not suggesting anybody file bankruptcy. I'm suggesting you use that schedule I and J because a lot of times when you're, when you're in the moment, when you're focused on what am I doing, sometimes you may miss. So for example, I have uh, an annual homeowners association assessment. So when I'm in March and April and May, I don't necessarily think about it because I paid it in January. But if I can think about, wait a minute, I know that in January I'm going to have to pay this annual homeowner association payment i can budget for it during the course of the year and so um you know if you want i can either send to you or if you want to have your listeners contact me and it's just it's just a, an income sheet an expense sheet and not necessarily that it's that it's correct 100 percent of the time but at least it'll stimulate their thought in terms of you know what are some of the expenses that i might have to deal with how much am i spending on on groceries down to things like, do I have food that's being wasted? And so I can maybe cut down my grocery bill to cut down on foods that I would otherwise buy that end up going stale so that I can cut my grocery expenses and make more money. I mean, so it's, it's more of a, more of a, of a something to trigger the thought process more than anything else.
0: Right on. I would love for you, if you could send that document over uh, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I can put it on the show description. And of course, later in this interview, I'm going to give all the listeners an a opportunity to find out how they can get in touch with you. Uh, so we can handle this both ways. That sounds great. Um, a particular sure. form of debt that a lot of my listeners are confronted with, aside from credit card debt, is student loans because a lot of them are college students or recent college graduates, and student loans are getting uh, tougher and tougher, and they're a particularly nasty kind of loan because, as you know, in many cases they're not dischargeable in bankruptcy, so you can really be stuck with them. And so, if you have, if we have some listeners out there who are having some trouble with student loans, do you have any advice for them? Are there programs they can look into? Um, are there programs that could be getting phased out that they might want to avoid? Uh, what, would you, what would you advise to a musician who's, who's really having trouble with those student
1: loans? The first thing I would do is call the student loan company, call the student loan servicer. A lot of them have deferment programs. Now, I, deferment programs can be good and bad at the same time. So they're, they're good in that you're deferring payments. So you're not making payments while your income is at a certain level. It's bad because that money does have to get paid back eventually, and so it's continuing to accrue interest. And so your student loan balances are actually getting higher as you go because you're not paying it back. But there's no uh, lawsuit threat there because you're, you're not paying it back with permission of the student loan company. So that, that could be one uh option although i don't like it as an option Uh, like you said bankruptcy at least as of this recording is not an option however i know congress is looking at some some changes to the law that may make bankruptcy easier to file to eliminate student loan debt Uh, here in florida we are having some success within bankruptcy court with some of these uh, student loan companies that will uh, allow you to borrow for an unaccredited School. So the classic example is the medical school down in the Caribbean. There's a lot of uh, case law coming out, at least here in Florida, and so I would assume in other areas of the country as well, that because it's not an accredited school, and so you don't really, you, know, you graduate from college with all this student loan debt, but then you really can't practice in your chosen field because the school's not accredited. Well, there are circumstances where that is dischargeable in bankruptcy if that happens to be the issue. Uh, the other things that I would look at, you know, again, call your student loan company, because there are programs out there that will allow you to um, pay based on your income. So income based repayment plans. And a lot of those types of programs, if you make payments for a certain number of years, uh the remainder of the loan is forgiven so you pay over 20 years or 25 years based on your income and then at the end of that 20th year or 25th year depending on the program the remainder of the debt is eliminated and a lot of them are income-based repayment programs and so if for example your income only supports a payment to the student loan company of 20 bucks a month that's what you're going to make If your income supports payment to the student loan program of zero a month that's okay and and you'll make that zero dollar a month payment or you'll make that fifty dollar a month payment or whatever it happens to be based on your income level and every year it changes they review your income every year to see what increases or decreases and so every year it changes but when you get to year 20 or 25 it's gone it's eliminated. Now you may then have to deal with the forgiveness of debt, the phantom income in essence, you know, the IRS says, if you don't have to pay the rest of that debt back, you got a benefit. Anytime you get a benefit, Uncle Sam wants his cut. So there may be that issue, but that's 20 to 25 years down the road anyway.
0: Right on. Um, I think, you know, let's talk about the, the, let's talk back about the tactics that the creditor bullies can Uh, implement when it comes to getting uh, money from musicians. I think a lot of musicians are wondering, if creditors are coming after me, can they take my stuff? Particularly, could they take my instruments? Could they take the things that I use to actually make money in my music career?
1: It depends. Typical attorney answer. It depends.
0: (laughs) This is a good attorney Uh, answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It depends on what state you're in, really, because all states have different uh, asset protection laws. Each state has different uh, consumer collection laws. And so there are some states that say tools of the trade are exempt. And so if I were in one of those states and I'm a musician, well, yeah, my my guitar, my bass, my, my set, my amps, those are all tools of the trade. And so those are exempt. Unfortunately, here in Florida, tools of the trade is not a recognized exemption. And so if I'm a musician that lives here in Florida, the answer is technically under the law, yes. The creditors can come and and try to seize the assets, but uh, try to seize the instruments. But there's a, a whole bunch of practical issues there that I think it's not really an issue. So number one, if my instrument is in my apartment or in my house, they can't just bust into your house and take your stuff. So there's the whole there's a whole uh, entry into uh, the house that prevents them from from getting into your stuff. Uh, the other practical side of that is if you owe a credit, and, and a lot of times this comes up with me with clients who have cars. And so they'll say, well, I have a $5,000 Toyota that's free and clear. Can the credit card company take it? Well, technically, yes. But if you think about how the personal property works, they have to find it, they have to seize it, they have and they have to pay people to do that. They have to auction it, and they have to pay the auctioneer to do that. And so after all is said and done, if you've got a five thousand dollar guitar or five thousand dollar amp system or a five thousand dollar drum set, by the time they find it, collect it, and auction it, maybe they've collected a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars of the value because they've been paying out expenses to all these other third-party vendors. And so if I'm Visa, am I going to go after a jump set where I'm going to collect 1500 bucks on a debt that, that's owed 10 Probably not. It's probably not worth my time and effort. Bank accounts are a much more liquid target. Bank accounts are a much more attractive target, not instruments. So I think that the legal answer is it depends on what state you're in, number one. Number two, I think technically it is a possibility, but I think as a practical matter, the end of this year, the end of 2018, I will have been practicing 20 years, and I've never seen a creditor do it in my 20 years. I've never seen a creditor go after personal property in my 20 years of practice.
0: Oh, uh, good to know. And in your 20 years of practice, and congratulations, by the way, Um, for hanging in the profession that long. That can't be easy. Um, I'm sure not only it has to happen when you're representing people that are in debt, you probably see people when they're at their darkest, when they're really feeling a lot of stress and anxiety. And I'm sure you've had to be there for a lot of those people in those situations. So has it based on that experience, do you have any advice for any of the musicians out there? just on handling the stress of debt? Like how do you just get through each day?
1: I think it goes back to all the different types of things that we've talked about. So I I think number one, understand what the creditors can and cannot do. They can't threaten you with jail time. In fact, one of my recent podcast episodes, maybe somewhere, I think in the eighties, I don't recall, but um, one of my recent podcast episodes was an interview with a buddy of mine who's an attorney, but also sort of a history buff. And so we did a whole episode about the history of debtor's prison, which doesn't exist. So anyone who says, well, can they throw me in jail because I didn't pay my debt back? The answer is no. You cannot go to jail for failure to pay a debt. You can be sued, but you cannot go to jail. The other thing I like to talk to clients about, and and a lot of times this comes in in a bankruptcy analysis. And so I'll say, do you have a thick skin?" And if they say, yes, I have a thick skin, and you do an analysis, and you see that there's very little that you have that the creditors can take, who cares? (laughs) Let them call you. That's the worst that's going to happen. Now, at the same time, if you don't – and I would assume a lot of musicians have a thick skin. But if you don't, then just understand your rights. Understand what they can and can't do. They can't throw you in jail. They can't – maybe they can sue you, but that's about the worst of it. And then reach out. Reach out to you. Reach out to me. Reach out to to you know someone who does what I do in your state, and get and don't go to the internet. Unfortunately, not everything on the internet is true. What? Uh, but yeah, I know. It's a, Come on, it's, it's a whole <laughs> concept. I know. I, I know. I want to believe it is, but it's not. <laughs> well,
0: um, that is uh, sage advice. And again, if you want to find out more about his podcast, it is the Crushing Debt podcast. You can check it out and check out his legal services at www.yesnerlaw.com. Are there any other ways that the listeners can find out about you on the Internet? Is You got a Twitter handle or any way they can find you on social media?
1: The best way to reach me is at the website, which my firm's website, which is uh, yesnerlaw.com. Gessner has one S in it, Y-E-S-N-E-R, law.com. Uh, the law firm also has a Facebook page, uh, and I'm on Instagram and all the all the social medias, uh, except Twitter, for some reason. I haven't really gotten into Twitter. Oh, that's the uh, one you ever- have to
0: get into. That's mine. We got to chat on Twitter, man.
1: Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I got Facebook. I got Instagram. I got, I'm, I'm a solo guy. I, I can't be on social media all day, but I will. I will probably check out Twitter at some point here.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Uh, It has been a pleasure. This has been so informative. I am glad that the little guy has you fighting against the bullies. This is awesome. Before we let you go, Sean, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers
1: forward? I think it's, I think it's just in terms of growing your career, growing your audience, growing your fan base I would very much liken to what I do in growing my business. So find out where your fans are at. Engage with your fans. Interact with your fans on social media. Get that, that cult following. I know I always love going out and seeing live bands, especially with the, the musical bones in my body here. I love going out to see live bands and interacting. And I think the way that you would grow, the way that I grow my law firm by word of mouth and marketing and networking I think all of those same principles would apply, uh, to the indie artist. get, create your fan base, uh, engage with your fan base, cultivate with your fan base, and it'll continue to grow and grow and grow.
0: Awesome. You can find them at yesnerlaw.com and you can check out the crushing dead pod, uh, crushing debt podcast. I should say, Sean <laughs> Yesner, ladies and gentlemen, Sean, thank you so much for being on with us this week.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: All right. We'll be right back on the break the business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back everybody. Our thanks to Sean Yesner for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out the Crushing Debt podcast and find out more about his legal services by visiting www.yesnerlaw.com. That's y e s n e r law.com. It is nice to have a guy like that fighting on the side of the little guy, fighting for musicians and he's a musician himself and how can you not love that? And and look, when you're trying to run your music career, you're trying to just you're keeping a lot of balls in the air you're trying to, you know, get your music out there and you're trying to promote yourself and you're trying to cultivate your tribe of fans and it can be so easy to fall into financial misfortune. And many of you out there right now listening might be battling with debt, credit card debt, student loan debt, whatever it is. And whatever it is, I'm telling you, get help. There are resources out there. Don't fight through this alone. And there's two reasons for why you got to get help. One, just for your own sake of taking care of yourself. The stress of debt can be brutal. And the sooner that you you take action and get help to get yourself out from under it, the better off you're going to be in terms of your health and your happiness. And aside from that, you're also a business person. As an independent musician, you're running a business. And the sooner you can get your financial house in order personally, the better position you're going to be in to do great things in your music career. So... Uh, Be sure to take care of that stuff. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our four platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I very much uh, hope that you'll do that. Just throw us a nice review, uh, recommend us to a friend, like us on any of those platforms. Look, we we do advertising. We do targeted ads and things like that. But really, honestly, folks, there is no better way to promote a podcast than with word of mouth. And if you've enjoyed this show... If you've got something out of this, it would mean so much to me if you just tell a friend about what we're doing here and bring them into this community and it it would just mean a lot to me and it'd mean a lot to all the other folks in this community. And if you want to reach out to me, and I very much hope that you do, you can email me at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Ask anybody who's emailed me. I answer back every email. Sometimes it takes a lot more time than I usually have, but I, I do it because if you take the time to email me with your busy schedule... I'm not going to let my busy schedule get in the way of me emailing you back. So breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And when you email me, you can if you want to ask me a question to answer on the show, some, some kind of legal tip or music industry tip, um, I'd be happy to answer it on the show. And that's a great way to send me questions. And look, if I don't know the answer, which happens a lot, by the way, I have built a pretty terrific network of people that I can toss that question to and get an answer from them and bring that answer to you. And I want to use my resources to help you move your music career forward. And so if you have a question you want us to answer on the show, breakthebusinessatgmail.com is where you do it. You can also propose topics for us to talk about. If there is a music industry topic that you want us to talk about because it's important to your career, let me know by emailing me and we'll talk about it. If uh, there's a pop culture topic you want us to talk about, we do that around here too. So just uh, let us know. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R, throw me a follow, I love talking to people on Twitter, and you can like the Break the Business podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash break the business. All right, I said in the first segment I was going to talk about what happened at Parkland, and I very much intend to do that, because this one quite literally hits home for me. There was another mass shooting this past week, if if you didn't know, Uh, this one was at Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. I live in Miami. (laughs) I'm sure you know that because I, I, I rep the 305 all the time. I talk about where I live on this podcast probably every week. And Miami, if you don't know, is pretty close to Parkland. It's just one county over. I'm in that area all the time. I have friends who live in that area. In fact, one of my closest business partners that I do a lot of entertainment stuff with he lives in Parkland. He's got a wife and kids, and thankfully, thank goodness, his his family's okay. But um, he was the first person I thought of when this happened, and just it's it's so oh, crazy because he moved to Parkland because he wanted a safe place for his family. He lived in Miami. You know, Miami's a fun city, but it's a little more dangerous than average. And so he moved to Parkland to find a safer place for his family. Parkland was recently voted one of the safest cities in America. And I imagine that drove his decision for why he wanted to put his family there. And so this rocked him and it rocked all the people in this community. And um, there's a remarkable young lady who attends that school who can express my feelings on what happened there. Even better than I can. Go and listen to this clip. Politicians! Politicians who sit in their gilded House and Senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this. We call BS! We say that tough, they say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS! the gun. We call BS. They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS. No, they say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS. BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. BS. If you agree, register to vote. Contact your local congresspeople. Give them a the piece of your mind. That was Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School student Emma Gonzalez. She was there when the when the shots were being fired. She was. She talked about how she was sitting on the floor of her cafeteria, just hoping that she wasn't going to be one of the victims in all this. And. You can just hear the pain in her voice, and you can hear the passion in her voice, and I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in a situation like that, to to feel like you're going to die.
1: It's,
0: and you know this affects me. This one affected me a little more than some of the other shootings, and not just because it was a not just because it was in near my hometown, but because I work in education. In fact, at least two to three days a week, I'm at a school. I'm at high schools uh, as part of my education practice. I work with education companies. I work with education companies and schools in Broward and in Parkland. And so I, you know, that that uh, I'm in schools at any given time. I could be in a school when something like that happens. And, um, you know, I, I teach, I was t- saying in the first segment, I teach at a college, I teach at Doral college. And what makes Doral college unique and not like any other college you're ever going to find is that it is the only college that I know of in America that is completely embedded on a high school campus. It is a, it is a college. It is a you know licensed college and all the same stuff that any other college has, but their mission is to provide early college to high school students. It's a concurrent enrollment college. They give college credits to high school students we work with, you know, high minority, low socioeconomic status populations to try to lower the cost of education, shorten the time of education so that these uh, kids can save money. And it's a wonderful group to work with. And God, I love working with these kids at this college so much. And I teach a class at this college. And I, so I teach high school age students on a combined high school college campus. I work with high school kids every day. I you know, I've been teaching this class for 5 years, so I've I've seen a lot of these kids. I've seen them grow up, they you know, having jobs of their own and they're doing things in their careers and you know, you know, you hear this all the time when teachers say this, but they're like kid, they're like my kids to me. I you know, I'm so close to a lot of these kids and you know, when I think of something like that happening to one of my students, it it's just Unthinkable. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I, something has to be done. And maybe, and perhaps it's the optimist in me, but I feel like something's different with this shooting. And this isn't, you know, this isn't, this hasn't been the deadliest school shooting in American history, to my knowledge. And maybe I'm just getting biased because this happened so close to my home, so I'm hearing more about it, but I feel like there's a sea change coming. I feel like with this shooting, The students are really stepping up. You're already seeing protests from students who are saying, I don't feel safe in school anymore, and I have a right to feel safe in school. And there are already nationwide school walkouts that are scheduled for March and April. And guess what, kids? I'm going to be there. I'm walking with you. I'm going to be, if I'm on campus those days, which I have every intention to be, you will not be walking out alone. There will be at least one grown up with you on that walkout because I will be there with you. You have my word on that, and these kids are stepping up, and musicians, if you're listening to this, and you're probably wondering why I'm talking about this on a music business podcast, but it does have a tie-in to music, musicians, you got to step up, too. The kids need you. These students need you. They need your voice. They need your powerful voice. They need your social media friends. They need your tribes. They need you to amplify this message. Because common sense gun legislation is the moral issue of our time. And it's not, and I'm not talking about taking everybody's guns. Like, for, look, I'm a lawyer, all right? I know a thing or two about the Constitution. You know, and I can tell you, if you, you know, even if you are a, a true, you know, protector of the Second Amendment, I'm telling you, as a lawyer, Common sense gun legislation, getting rid of the AR 15s, expanding background checks. These things aren't going to violate the second amendment. You're not going to find a judge anywhere in this country. Who's going to tell you that getting rid of AR 15s is going to violate the second amendment. It's just not, this is not a second amendment issue. This is an issue of people who like guns more than they care about kids. And so musicians, students need your help because it's not just a moral issue. Even though it is a hell of a moral issue, but as we've talked about on this podcast, this is a pocketbook issue for you musicians. No matter what your politics are, when it comes to common sense gun reform, you're business people. And as a business person, as a as a person who runs your music business, you have a responsibility to advocate for legislation that is good for your business, that is good for your customers. And the kind of things that happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, they're happening at concerts too. Don't forget about the Vegas shooting, the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in American history. That was a concert. When these things happen at concerts, It can cause people to stop going to concerts when you get to the point where you don't feel safe going to a concert anymore, then you won't go. Or even if it's just that there's going to be added security at concerts and now your fans start to say, Oh God, I really want to go see this person in concert, but I don't want to deal with the, with the, with the hassle of the metal detectors and everything. Like it's just too much. I'm just going to go watch your videos on YouTube. And once that happens, We all lose. The industry loses. Live performances represent a plurality of a musician's share of income for most musicians. For most of you out there, live performances are the entirety of your income, or at least 99% of it. And so this isn't just a moral issue. It's a pocketbook issue because what's good for schools is good for concerts. So when common sense gun reform doesn't happen, you musicians are the victims. Your fans are at risk, and you're at risk. Not just your pocketbook, by the way, but you know you as a victim. Don't forget what happened to Christina Grimmie, the musician. Like You are on stage. You're a target. And so you need this kind of reform to protect you. And you're the victims here, and there are politicians out there who are saying that you're not the victim, but in fact you're the perpetrator. This past week, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin, in a conference call, said that the people that need to be blamed for these school shootings and for these shootings are violence in music and video games. They got it all wrong. They got it all backwards. And I don't know if they're ignorant or if they're just lying, but they, but you know, violent music does not make people kill. There's viol- the same music that's playing here in America is playing in all other countries of the world where they don't have these kind of things that happen. So get out of here with violent music. But they're coming after you. They're saying it's... You know, there's politicians that are saying it's your fault whether that, rather than acknowledging that you're the victims here. That, this, that these kind of shootings are making you unsafe and they're taking money out of your pocket. So now is the time to speak out. There are students that are going to be speaking out for the next couple months. This is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Not just here in Miami and not just in Parkland, but throughout the country. There are going to be a lot of students who have something to say about this. And they could really use the help of musicians like you who have strong followings, who have a voice. So I plead for you. Let's stick up for this cause. Not, because, not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's the right thing for you and your business to keep you safe, to keep your fans safe. All right. Our thanks to Sean Yesner this week for joining us. You were terrific. And my thanks as always to all of you for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you next week.